Welcome to Thoughtfully Mindless. My guest in this episode is Alana Vandersloos. Alana is an intuitive eating coach who runs the website freedomwithfoodandfitness.com. Her Instagram and Facebook are also under that name, Freedom With Food and Fitness. She runs a podcast called Finally Free that airs episodes every other week. And she's an author releasing her first book in November called Freedom With Food and Fitness, How Intuitive Eating is the Key to Your Happiest and Healthiest Self. Let's welcome Alana. Alana, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me already. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so we're going to talk about health, both physical and a little bit of mental probably too. So what does it mean to be healthy? To me, it means physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. I think there are so many markers of health that we either take for granted or don't really consider as part of our health journey. I think in our society, a lot of times people just focus on weight loss as the gold standard of health, but I think it's making making sure that you are taken care of in all of those aspects and that you feel good in your body. What are the different struggles that women have? Because you work mostly with women, right? Yes. Um, I know about some of them. Like I feel like women have different standards that they're held up to societally. And, uh, you know, women have a, they get compared to other women a little bit more or quite a bit more. So what are some of the other struggles that women specifically have when, when it comes to maintaining health? Uh, other than weight loss, you know, I think that there is this, and you, you did say we're going to talk about not only physical health, but mental health. But I think for a lot of women, there's this pressure to be perfect and to do all the things and to be the good girl and to be the people pleaser. And we can put such an intense amount of pressure on ourselves to be everything for everyone all of the time. And that comes at the detriment of our physical, our mental, and our emotional health, for sure. Okay. What are some things that women should implement in their lives to increase their health? Oh, gosh, that's such a, it's such a huge question. Um, you know, I, I always say that as a non-diet nutrition and fitness coach, I want the conversation to move away from weight loss and toward more important markers of health. So how are you feeling? Do you have enough energy? Are you sleeping enough? Are you are you eating enough? Honestly, a lot of women are on these really restrictive like 1200 calorie diets and they wonder why their metabolism is in the tank and their energy is low and their hair is falling out and they're they they've lost their menstrual cycle. So, you know, make sure you're eating enough. Uh, make sure you're drinking enough water, making sure that you have consistent time for self-care, whether that's meditating or walking or journaling, making sure that you have a consistent movement practice. And I didn't I don't say exercise on purpose because I don't think it has to be so regimented and structured and challenging as formal exercise can be. I think it could just be, walking or gardening or dancing or any one of those things, but having a consistent movement routine, I think that's another really important facet of health for women. Okay. Um, you said, or so you're an intuitive eating coach, right? Yes. So can you kind of walk me through what is that exactly? I, I actually have an okay idea because I think my girlfriend is very into intuitive eating, but 
Yeah, what is it? And can you go into your journey a little bit? Sure. So intuitive eating is an anti-diet framework. It is scientifically validated. There are over 100 um, scientific studies to date that that prove the benefits of intuitive eating, everything from cardiovascular health to improved body image to improved markers of health across the board. So it's not what some people think of when they think of intuitive eating, they're like, oh, well, if I just ate intuitively and ate whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted in whatever quantity I wanted, all I would do is eat pizza, ice cream, and chips, and I would gain 100 pounds, and my health would go out the window. And I think that's like kind of the false perception of what intuitive eating is. But what it really is, is tapping into your body's cues and relearning how to listen to your body's cues. Because especially as women, but men too. I've had male clients as well. We think that the experts are outside of our bodies, external from us, that we need to be following this expert or uh, you know, logging into my fitness pal and that'll tell us how many calories we should eat and we shouldn't be eating after 7 p.m. Like We have all these rules and parameters ex- external from our own bodies that we forget that we have an innate wisdom encoded in our DNA that's going to tell us exactly what we need and when we need it. But that that messaging from our bodies becomes very dysregulated when we've been forcing it to try to do something that is, you know, external of ourselves. So to answer the second part of your question, I found intuitive eating in my late 20s after I struggled for seven years with disordered eating and eating disorders. And I did not look like I had an eating disorder. I think there is definitely a stereotype of kind of like the waif thin girl with stringy hair who is kind of like, you know, falling in on herself and, you know, like bad posture hunching over and she's very quiet and withdrawn. And that was not me. I was, I was, you know, I looked like I was thriving. I looked like I was fit and thin and happy. And it was really kind of the exact opposite on the inside because I was eating a thousand calories a day for years and years, and I would never take a day off of exercising. And I was so fixated on the number on the scale and how I looked in the mirror and what size I fit into. And it consumed my entire life. Um, And it was all in the pursuit originally to be, I guess, healthy and desirable on some level in this society. And it just, it was a very slippery and fast slope to a lot of disorder and self-loathing and I found intuitive eating on a podcast, which I don't even remember which one was the original podcast I listened to, but I all of a sudden heard this concept of intuitive eating and how there was a group of women who not only had learned how to listen to their bodies and were living vibrant, energetic, and healthy physically and mentally lives, but had also decided consciously to reject this diet culture mentality that we need to be pursuing thinness or that we need to look a certain way. And they were freeing themselves from those very um, stifling messages that we get as women. Uh, And I was like, wow, I really want to do this because what I'm doing is clearly not working. I, I keep losing weight and I only hate myself more. So I have to try something different. So I really dug into what intuitive eating was all about and I threw myself into it. And eventually it helped me recover from my eating disorders. And then, you know, years later, I decided, you know, I have this journey, I have this story of redemption, and all of these strategies that I learned on my way to recovery, I would love to have an opportunity to help other women and teach other women what I've learned. Because 
I'm I'm happier now than I've ever been. I'm more fit now than I've ever been. I eat more than I've ever eaten and I weigh more than I've ever weighed. And I'm just like, it's 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 the best. It's it's I couldn't have imagined this life for myself back then. I like that you touched on the outside appearance not necessarily reflecting the inside feeling because I've talked to people and my body I can put on a little bit of weight, but I, I have a fairly athletic natural body. So like I would say um, I'm really out of shape right now. And when I when I say that, I'm not saying, oh, I'm fat or I'm, you know, I've let my body go. I'm saying like, I can't run a mile right now, you know, and not get really winded. So I, I like that you make that differentiation. Yeah, and I think it's important. I think, you know, it's it's not focusing on the fact that you feel it is you're not focusing on the number on the scale. You're focusing on the fact that you wish that maybe you could run that mile without getting winded. So, you know, a lot of people come to me and they're like, well, I feel better when I'm in a thinner body. And I always counter that with, is it really that number on the scale? Or is it the fact that you've been consistently working out and you've been more mindful of, you know, making sure that you're eating healthful foods? And are you taking time out of your day for self-care and self-reflection? Those are the things that I think make us feel better. And by proxy, a lot of the time that also um, leads to weight loss. Yeah. It, sometimes even when women tend to do this more, but even if a woman is working out and trying to work on her physical body, get her physical body looking a certain way, there is this weird thing in our society where we obsess about the number that we see on a scale. And it doesn't even make sense because... We know muscle weighs more than fat. So if you're going to the gym and you're working out, you might be slimming down but gaining weight. And that's not a bad thing, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. As I said before, I weigh more than I've ever weighed, but I'm stronger than I've ever been. And I have more muscle mass and I have more energy. And so, yeah, when, when you work out, you're going to gain muscle. And I, I always encourage women to work out. I love the idea of women's strength training because it, it, it's what cushions your, your joints and your bones as you age. So if you fall, you have muscle to kind of cushion up all a little bit. Um, I love, the, and you know, when you also, when you strength train, you can, I, I went up a size in clothing. And yeah. for some women, that might freak them out and be like, oh, my God, I'm gaining all this weight. And now I'm like, I'm a bigger size now. But you have to really think about where is that coming from? And that's not to say that if you're just in a larger body, that there's anything wrong with that either. I don't think genetically everybody was meant to be in a thin or straight-sized body. And just because you're in a larger body, that doesn't mean you're not healthy. I think we've conflated being thin with being healthy but again, it's not just about the number on the scale. It's not just about the size of your body that determines your health. That's a really big misconception that I really wish would go away. Yeah. Do you work with men at all? I have. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I have a, a friend who is a little bit, he's bigger than me. Um, he's taller and he's just a thicker person than me. And it's interesting because, I mean, women, we know women tend to get body dysmorphia, stuff like that. But it it is, I feel, at least somewhat common in men. And my friend would say, I'm fat, I'm I'm big. And I'd be be like, look at our wrist. Your wrist doesn't have fat on it. And it's twice the size of my wrist. Like your body is not supposed to be the size of mine, you know, like it, 
it's a bigger body and it's not necessarily fat. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, you know, it's, I think, I think men might struggle with it just as much as women, but I think they know that they're not quote unquote supposed to talk about it. It's not supposed to bother them. And also the narrative is slightly different. I think for women, it's more, we need to be small for men. I think the the narrative and the insecurity is we need to be big. We need to be strong. And there's a lot of disorder in the way that some men approach food and fitness for sure. Yeah. And that touches on mental health a lot too, right? Like, is there anybody that looks in the mirror? I mean, other than maybe a narcissist, right? Maybe somebody who's like completely vain. Are there people who actually look in the mirror and feel completely satisfied with what they see? Like if their clothes are off and they're just standing in the mirror. Okay. No. I 100% have days where I'm like, meh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I wish this was different. I wish that was different. But I used to hang my self-worth on it. You know, yeah. I used, and now I'm just like, oh, it would be nice if this was different. Yeah, well, it's not. <laughs> let's, let's move yeah. on with our day. It's, you know, we, we talk a lot about, especially on social media, it's like body love and body positivity. And for someone who's hated their body for 30 years, that feels very far away So I like to say that the way you feel about your body is kind of on a continuum, or even maybe you want to think about it in terms of visuals as a ladder. You have body hate on the bottom rung, you have body love on the top rung, and you need to work your way up the rungs of the ladder. You can't just go from straight body hate to body love, because if you you hate your body and you look in the mirror and you're like, I love my thighs, that is going to feel so just not not true. It's your, your brain is going to reject that that idea. But if you can move from say body hate to, you know, body acceptance, you know, this is my body. This is, this is a human body. I have a human body. Um, other humans have bodies that look like my body. And once you have that kind of acceptance and neutrality, you can move up to things like body appreciation, appreciating your body for its abilities and what it can do. And then maybe move to body respect right? You might not like the way that it looks, but you can respect what it does and then maybe move to like and love. But even when you get to love, right? I I say, I love my body. I do. I love what it does. I appreciate what it does. I respect what it does. But when we think of love, we have to think about it in its entirety. Like when we love somebody, we don't always love what they do. We're not enamored with how they act 100% of the time. That's not realistic. So I think love is a very complex thing, and we need to apply that complexity of how we think of love to body love and this idea that you're not going to wake up every day and love your body. You're going to wake up, and even when you're recovered from diet culture, have days where you feel insecure or have a triggering thought, and it's just that's just the way it is. We're not perfect. Yeah, what that makes me kind of think of is and and you touched on this and, and it's a good point. Like love doesn't mean like you love everything about something, right? Like when we love somebody, we often look past their faults and sometimes that can even be detri- detrimental, right? So can body love, our self-body love become detrimental in a way like that? Like we're looking past certain things that we shouldn't? You know, it... it... This is where I somewhat deviate from some of the other thought leaders in the intuitive eating spaces. For some people, they believe that they don't 
need to be on a health journey. They don't owe that health journey to anybody. In my mind, though, I'm like, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you pursue health so that you are comfortable and that you could live out your life's purpose and and be with the people that you love for as long as you can? So I think sometimes people can have body love and decide like, I'm going to love my body no matter what, and I'm just going to do whatever I want with it and not think of, you know, not treat it the way that it needs to be treated or take care of it in any sort of way. I think that's maybe when we can get into some issues. But um, other than that, I think that's really the only way I could see body love going. Body love goes wrong. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It sounds like you have to have respect for your body and love at the same time, probably, right? You do. You do. And I think that's one of the things with intuitive eating that people miss is that we are very in tune with not only our hunger and fullness, but our satiety, but in a way where we're very future thinking. So for example, if I want pizza, I'm going to honor that craving for the pizza. That's going to make me feel satisfied. But I'm also going to think, okay, well, how can I have this pizza, but round out this meal in a way that's going to leave me feeling good after the meal? Because if I just have four slices of pizza, I'm not going to feel good. And I know that about my body at this point. So I'll say, all right, I'm going to have like a slice, maybe two of the pizza, but I'm also going to have a grilled chicken salad with it. And that's going to leave me feeling really good because I'm going to be getting in my fiber and my protein, and that's going to help level off any sugar spike from the carbs and the pizza. So I'm really very mindful of how I construct my meals in a way that leaves me feeling good at the end, but still honors any cravings for foods that I'm having because we do work on an all foods fit paradigm. Now I'm going to be fighting back a temptation to eat pizza tonight. Um, so Sorry. No, no, you're good. It's the second time I talked about pizza today already. Okay, so intuitive eating, how does somebody figure out what they need to eat? Like, we live in a society where like, we're, everything has sugar in it, and sometimes it's way more. And, and sugar, I think, is pretty... Processed sugar is typically not great for us. Um, great for our many aspects of our bodies and mental health. How does somebody break free from, okay, I'm, I'm craving ice cream, right? Ice cream isn't really a, a need. Like we don't need ice cream. How does somebody redirect their energy and figure out like what their body is actually telling them? So there, there are a couple of different things I can say here. Um, in terms of, the, I think you're kind of referring to like emotional eating. Like you don't need the ice cream, but you want the ice cream. I like to take a pause and I like to name what emotion I'm feeling in that moment. Am I feeling anxiety? Am I feeling sadness? Am I feeling shame? And I think saying that out loud especially because a lot of us were socialized as children to not feel negative feelings, like there was something wrong or bad about that or bad about us. So we were told like, don't cry or, you know, get over it, stop being a baby. So we kind of learned to not feel those negative emotions. So when we let those out, when we actually verbally say out loud, I'm feeling shameful, I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling fearful. It's almost like we're letting a dirty little secret out and our shoulders kind of relax. It's like we're, we're taking the weight off of ourselves. Like, oh, this is now out in the open. This is real. And asking yourself, okay, how else can I fulfill the need I have in this moment? So if you're nervous about a business meeting the next day, you might say to yourself, like, I'm feeling really fearful. I'm feeling really anxious. Um, and, And what I really need is to feel safe and comforted. How else? 
could I fulfill that need, need of feeling safety and comfort without this ice cream? So just, again, naming the emotion and, and knowing what you need to, you know, let that motion, emotion pass through you and trying to fulfill it without food. But at the same time, I don't think it's a bad thing to eat emotionally. Um, I, I'll always say that's a valid form of, of uh, hunger, emotional hunger, but I don't ever want it to be the only tool in their emotional coping mechanism arsenal. Like I want you to be able to lean on other coping mechanisms as well. Food can be one of them, but I also would want someone to approach that from a conscious place. Like I'm feeling really out of control right now. Um, I know I just want a sense of comfort. I am going to have this ice cream right now. And that is going to be the way that I deal with this today. And I'm not going to feel guilty over it. I'm going to be very uh, conscious and present with this ice cream. I'm going to savor this ice cream. And then I'm just going to move on. Um, the other, the last thing I will say about that is, you know, we talk about refined sugars and how they're addictive and all of this stuff. And while I think processed food and, and you know, foods with chemicals in them do have this addictive quality to them, I think that the answer is not to avoid them completely. Uh, there are a lot of studies that prove that whatever we resist persists. So when we say, well, I can't have ice cream, that puts ice cream on a pedestal that gives ice cream so much power over you because you can't yeah. have it. And what we, what, we, what we can't have is always the thing that we want. So if you're ever in a situation where there is ice cream, your willpower might break and you might completely binge on that ice cream and feel sick physically and shameful and all of these things. So I think instead of saying I can't have this ice cream because it's unhealthy, I think the better way to approach this is how does ice cream feel in my particular body? So I'll give you a couple of examples with me. I love ice cream. That's, that's my favorite. That's my favorite treat. I have it a couple of times a week. And I don't have it in these uncontrollable amounts. Not that I measure it, but I don't have it in uncontrollable amounts because I know I can have it whenever I want. So the power is gone from it and I just enjoy it. And I enjoy an amount that feels good in my body. And ice cream doesn't affect me poorly. But things that, things that are fried, like um, donuts, pastries, those don't agree with me very well. So I don't eat those things, not because I'm fearful of them or that I'm going to gain weight from them or that they're bad for me. I just know that they don't do well in my digestive system. So that's how I've decided what I can and can't eat. I don't listen to the external rules of, of what I can and can't eat from diet culture. I just listen to my own body and what it tells me when I eat those foods. Yeah. So, so you, it sounds like you're really just paying attention to how you're feeling both during and after eating, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like for example, like we'll go back to the pizza. Like uh, when I, and it's a whole lot of experimentation with intuitive eating. It's, it's a whole lot of uh, curiosity and experimentation and trying new things and trial and error. So like I tried having two slices of pizza when I was trying to introduce pizza back into my life. And I realized that that was a little too much and that made me feel a little sick and bloated. So the next time I had pizza, I only had one slice and that felt good. So I had the pizza fix, but I left feeling good. So I knew I was like, oh, okay. So two is too much for me. One is good for me. And that's yeah. for me. That's not for Artie. That's not for anybody else. It's just for me. For me, it's usually a, a whole pizza. <laughs> uh -huh. 
Some days I wish I could, but I know like my like if I have wheat and cheese in too large of amounts, my my body goes haywire. So <laughs> yeah, and honestly, I don't feel well after eating a whole pizza. So uh, I know I shouldn't do that. Um, so somebody has a pizza sitting in front of them. They've already decided to eat it. How should they approach that? Mindfully, mindful eating. So you know, I would say plate the food. I would say don't have the whole pie right in front of you. Plate what you want, sit down somewhere else, and just be very mindful with the foods. Don't have any distractions. I mean, if people are around you, that's one thing, but don't be you know, scrolling on your phone. Don't be watching TV. And really incorporate all five of your senses because what we tend to do is when we're eating a food that we quote-unquote shouldn't be eating, we tend to eat it really quickly. And we tend to eat it with a whole lot of guilt and shame attached to it, or a side of guilt and shame, I should say. And yeah. what that does is it leads to a whole lot of indigestion that you wouldn't have had if you had just been mindful and ate it slowly. Because there's something called the gut-brain axis. There's actually a connection between our guts and our brains. So when we eat quickly, we have poor digestion. And when we eat, when we're feeling anxious, we also have really bad digestion. So I would say plate the food. Sit without distraction, take a couple of deep breaths to calm that anxiety down. Tell yourself, you're allowed to have this food. No, you're an adult. No one is telling you you can't have this food. And just eat it mindfully using all five of your senses. So how what's the temperature like of the pizza? Um, what what are you tasting? Is it salty, savory, sweet, hot? Uh, what's the texture like? What's the smell like? Um how does it feel in your mouth? All of those things. Just really be in the moment with it and enjoy it. Okay. How do you, what would be your, your advice for somebody who, maybe they go grocery shopping when they're, when they're hungry and they end up buying a bunch of food that just sounds really good when they're hungry, but it isn't what they actually want in the long run. Yeah, uh, that's, Actually, one of the specific tips that I have in my book that's coming out, Freedom with Food and Fitness, is don't go to the grocery store hungry. Because yeah. when we're hungry, the rational part of our brain can turn off and the primitive brain can turn on. And it's just looking for whatever has the most fat, sugar, and calories in it because that's the most bang for your buck. So I suggest never going hungry. I suggest always going for a list. And does that mean you can never deviate from the list? Of course not. Um, sometimes you see the ice cream on sale that you love and, you know, you just have to go for it. But I suggest never going hungry so that you can, um, continue to make choices from your rational brain. Yeah. Have you already finished your book and just not released it or are you still writing it? <laughs> the, the, the publishing industry is a very slow industry. I finished writing my book over two years ago oh, wow. and it's coming out on November 14th. So yeah, it's called freedom with food and fitness. Uh, it's available on Amazon for pre-order, Barnes and Noble, and it's it's half my story. It's a lot of my journey from eating disorder to full recovery and all of the different tips and tricks that I learned along the way to have a good relationship with my body and with food. But um, half the book is about food and nutrition, and the other half is about fitness and movement. Okay. What's something that you you learned from writing the book that you didn't know before? So good. Um, I didn't, well, first of all, I didn't know that 
it would actually be harder to find a publisher and a literary agent than it would be to write the book. I thought mm. the book was going to be the hard part. Uh, I wrote the book in five months. What was harder was finding a publisher and a literary agent. I sent out the manuscript to hundreds and hundreds of people, wow. and I got 87 rejections. And those are just the people who are nice enough to send me a rejection, let alone the people who just ignored me. And it only took one to say yes. So I think it was a lesson in failure, which I think can really be applied to a journey uh, of nutrition and, and fitness as well, is you, you can't let a roadblock, an obstacle, a stumble stop you from whatever it is that your goal is. So if I would have said this book isn't any good after the 10th rejection, after the 50th rejection, it would have never seen the light of day. And I actually found my publisher before I found my literary agent. I found a publisher who took unsolicited manuscripts, so manuscripts that don't have a literary agent, and they want, they gave me an offer. I took the offer, and then I went back and I emailed all the literary agents that told me no, and I was like, I have an offer in hand. Does anybody want me now? And my literary agent had actually passed on me the first time, and she said yes the second time. So things mm -hmm. just work out the way that they're supposed to, the time that they're supposed to, and... Don't ever take failure as you're not enough. Um, you only fail if you stop trying. What's a literary agent do versus a publisher? So a literary agent is somebody who kind of shops your manuscript out to the publishers. So when you have a literary agent, it kind of says, like, I am established. I've been vetted, so to speak. And they help negotiate your contracts. So even though I already had a deal in hand, I wanted a literary agent anyway, because I'm playing the long game. I want to write more books. And she yeah. is someone who can negotiate a better deal for me next time. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. When you, uh, when you explained it, I was like, well, why would you want that after finding the publisher already? But that makes sense. Uh, what inspired you the most to write the book? Um, you know, I'd always wanted to write a book. Like ever since I was 10 years old, I wanted to write a book. Um, I didn't know what it was going to be about. I didn't know what I could spend, you know, 200 pages writing about at that time. And then I went through my eating disorder and I learned all of these things about the diet industry and myself and my recovery and how to approach nutrition and fitness. And I said, oh my God, this is the book. Like, this is it. And yeah. that's another thing that the book taught me is when we quote unquote fail or when we go through these really hard times in our lives, they can't, we can't regret them. You know what I'm saying? Like I never regret my eating disorder because it brought me this business and this book and this way that I can connect with other women and help other women and live out my life's purpose to help people. And I wouldn't have had that opportunity had I not gone through the struggle that I went through. So I think it just makes you a, a stronger person. What do you feel like needs to change the most in our society around health and, and nutrition? Uh, again, I think it, I really think the thing that needs to change is we need to stop thinking that our weight equals our health and our weight equals our worth because it is neither of those things. Both our health and our self-worth are so nuanced and complex that to simplify it down that way is not doing us any favors. We are sicker as a society that we than we've ever been. We are um, heavier than we've ever been as a society. So di the diets clearly aren't working. They, they are not effective long term. And we have a lot of people who are very 
depressed and who don't have a whole lot of confidence and value in themselves. And I think that's a big part of it is this multi-billion dollar diet industry that tells us that we are not enough and we need to be fixed and they have the answer and we give them our money and it just it never works. Yeah. Can you uh, dive into the name of your coaching method a little bit? So the name of my coaching method is Chill the F Out. Um, I'm, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on here, so I won't. But uh, yeah. it's, it's, um, it's based on cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's this whole idea that this, the things that happen in our lives are, are circumstances, which is what CHILL stands for. So CHILL the F Out is an acronym, C-T-F-O. The C is for circumstance. The things that happen in our lives are completely neutral. They really are. It's just that we attach thoughts to them, which is the T. Uh, and we we attach either negative or positive thoughts to a whole bunch of events that happen in our lives. And those thoughts that we have uh, create our feelings, which is the F. Uh, we have feelings about, we have feelings that are generated from our thoughts. And then based on those those feelings, we have O, our outcomes. We have certain outcomes that happen. We do certain things because of the way that we think and we feel. So an example could be, Let's say, you know, you eat a whole pizza pie and the next day the, the scale is five pounds up. That's a neutral event. It's not positive or negative, but a lot of times, especially in this society, the thoughts would be like, oh my God, why did I do that? I undone, I undid all the quote unquote, you know, clean eating that I did this week. I'm such a failure. You know, all of those kind of negative thoughts start flooding in and those negative thoughts create emotions of, hopelessness and anger and fear and frustration and shame. And when we feel those negative feelings, the next thing that we do is usually not something that serves us. We either heavily restrict the next day because we ate so much pizza, but all that restriction is going to do is trigger the next binge. Or we start talking negatively about our bodies or we go on another diet. So what I tell my clients is to, you or you can, I mean, you can use the framework going forwards, CTFO, circumstance, thought, feeling, and emotion to process something that has already happened. But you can also reverse engineer the framework. So you can go from your outcome. You can say, okay, well, what do I want to happen? Like, what do I want my goal to be, my outcome to be? The per- who is the person that I want to be? And then work backward and think to yourself, okay, well, if this is what I want the outcome to be, what feelings do I need to generate in order to drive myself to create those outcomes? You want to feel sense of grace and compassion and um, hopefulness and uh, you know uh, drive and whatever else. And then once you have identified what feelings you need to feel to drive you to make outcomes in your life or meet your goals in your life, what thoughts do you need to have? What's, what self-talk do you need to have in order to generate those feelings? And then yeah. circumstances, again, they're neutral and they're out of our control. Um, it's just how we react to the things in our lives that I think really matter. So that's kind of the mindset framework that I go over with my clients inside my program, which is called Defy the Diet. It's a 10-week virtual coaching program. But you know, the other things that we go through is um, the first thing that I do with my clients is I help them to detox from diet culture messages, you know. What, what are the people around you saying in your life? What are you seeing on social media? How is this stuff false? And I use a lot of scientific studies to kind of back up a lot of those claims. And then once we've kind of stripped away that messaging, then we can start assessing, okay, 
what is your nutrition? How are you eating? How much are you eating? What are you eating? Why are you eating it? Um, and we can kind of formulate a plan of action to really tailor your nutrition that in a way that is sustainable and flexible and leaves you feeling good and leaves you healthful. Um, and then we do the same thing with your fitness. Are you working out at all? Are you working out too much? What are you doing? Are you just a cardio queen or are you implementing that really important strength training? Do you have enough time in your schedule to make this something that is consistent? Once we get a good snapshot of what you're already doing, we can start forming both big and small goals to start working toward and really making sure that you are um, strong and flexible and have good endurance and good cardiovascular health. Um, and that's what we do. Yeah. Okay. Um, what do you recommend to people who, I, I don't know if skinny shaming is the right word, but let, let's say somebody, I know it happens to people. Um, and it's mostly women actually. So like go to a party, you're trying to, you know, like you're not restricting yourself entirely, but you want to avoid certain things. Maybe you don't want to drink alcohol. Maybe you don't want to have donuts tonight, but there's donuts and then you're there and the, the person is getting, oh, just eat, just eat. Or it, it's weird because like women kind of have this. I'm sure men have it too, but when they're indulging, they almost get offended that somebody else isn't. How do you advise people who are on the receiving end of that kind of shame there about not indulging? I get it a lot. I get it a lot because I am so far in my intuitive eating journey that I truly enjoy eating mostly healthful foods most of the time. And I will say no to desserts if I'm not in the mood for it or it's something that doesn't agree with my body or I just ate. And a lot of times they're like, oh, come on, just have a piece. And it's you really just have to be very clear in your conviction as to why you're not participating. If it's because you truly don't want it, you have to stick to that. You can't let people make you feel guilty because we, especially women, tend to worry about what other people think about their body, about how they're eating, their size. We can't control what other people think. People are going to think what they want to think. So it's either you indulge and people judge you for indulging or you don't indulge and people are judging you for not indulging. It's like you can never win. So you just have to please yourself and make yourself happy. So you don't have to even justify it to anybody. You just say, yeah, no, I'm really not feeling like it. And if they say, oh, come on, come on, just you, you enjoy it you enjoy it, right? Just let yeah. them let them enjoy it. If you want, you can have it. If not, there's there's no shame either way. Yeah. Uh, the last question I have is I watched your uh, your TED Talks. It's really interesting. Um what advice do you have for somebody who is struggling financially but wants to be healthy? Like what would your general advice there be? Yeah. So, I mean, for those who, who don't know what you're talking about, I did a TED Talk um, in January of 2023, why the wellness industry is elitist. And I spoke all about how we have this one singular vision of what health is supposed to look like. And it's this young, fit, thin, blonde woman with the yoga mat and the $17 green juice. And that's what apparently we're supposed to be striving for. But there are people who live in food deserts who quite literally don't have access to 
supermarket to get those foods that we're supposed to be eating, those organic, non-GMO foods that are very expensive for a lot of us. So if you're somebody who doesn't have a lot of money and wants to be healthy, you know, there are plenty of, you know, canned and frozen vegetables and fruits are just fine. Um, frozen meats are, you know, yeah, buy some meat and freeze it so that it stays because meat is very expensive. But beans are a great source of protein and they're relatively inexpensive. Um, you know, things like oatmeals and rices that you can microwave, those are relatively inexpensive. Go to food pantries. Um, you know, uh, some some places have community gardens where you can grow your own produce. You can, if you can't, you know, not everybody can afford a, you know, subscription to or membership to Equinox Gym, right? So use the stairs when you're at work or go for a walk around your neighborhood or do some body weight exercises like push-ups and tricep dips and squats in your in your apartment or in your house or wherever. There's, you know, have a meditation practice that's literally five minutes where you get to clear your head. Have a gratitude practice, which could be your journaling practice where you literally take 30 seconds to jot down three things that you were grateful for that day. All of those things add up. All of those things matter. Yeah. Yeah, I like the that you touched on other ways to stay in shape too. Um, I've I've seen videos on like calisthenics and I'm amazed at what kind of physiques people can get from just working out at home with no actual equipment. Absolutely. Um, Alana, it has been great to talk to you today. Before we go, do you want to give the listeners a way to find you, tell them about your book that's getting released in November and anything else that you want to share? Yes, please. So I am Freedom with Food and Fitness on Instagram and on Facebook. And my website is freedomwithfoodandfitness.com. I have a podcast called Finally Free, which comes out once every two weeks. And that's everywhere you get podcasts. And then the thing, of course, I'm most excited about is my book, Freedom with Food and Fitness, How Intuitive Eating is the Key to your happiest, healthiest self. And that releases on November 14th, but it is available on pre-order on Amazon, on Barnes and Noble. And I'm offering a $250 bonus gift for anybody who pre-orders the book and fills out a very simple form. So to get that form, you can go to freedomwithfoodandfitness.com slash pre-order. And then if you're somebody who is called to share the message of the book and leave a review for the book, um, I will give you the first five chapters. I will give you an exclusive live Q&A with me. I will give you um, a credit off of any coaching package that I offer and some other uh fun little secret goodies. So if you're interested in becoming part of the street team and writing a review and getting those $450 worth of bonus gifts, that's at freedomwithfoodandfitness.com slash street team. Awesome. Alana, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Thoughtfully Mindless. If you enjoyed it, sharing it is always very much appreciated. You can follow and reach me on Instagram and TikTok at Thoughtfully Mindless. And my Twitter or X is at TM Convos. Until next time.